Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Around the Coin is sponsored by Otter. Otter helps tech companies hire talented and inexpensive software developers. Otter specializes in recruiting developers from Argentina because of the similar time zone, the favorable currency exchange rate, and the amazing talent. The rates are only $35 to $50 per hour, so whether it's PHP, Go, JavaScript, iOS, or Java, visit HireOtter.com to hire a great software developer today. All right, we're back with another episode of Around the Coin, joined by Mark Thomas, the CEO, founder of Zen Sports. Mark, what's up, man? Thanks for jumping on. Uh, no problem at all, Mike. It is good to be here. Thanks for having me on the pod. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for this one. I love what you guys are doing. Do you want to give a background on Zen Sports, you know, namely how you, how you came up with the idea or you or your, your partner? And, you know, just catch me up. What have you guys done and what are you trying to do going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll take the kind of long way here just to give the full background. So we originally started out uh, about three years ago as a different concept than what I'll eventually get into here. Um, We actually originally started out as a peer-to-peer meetup recreational sports app, helping people connect to meetup to play sports for money and for fun. And uh, what we found was that the peer-to-peer concept within the sports industry was a real winning one uh, that, you know, people liked, you know, being able to interact with friends or, or even new people um, that they didn't know when it came to sports. But the rec sports market and industry are just not that large. It's pretty fragmented. People might go out and play tennis three times one week and then not go back for four months. So we decided in uh, summer of 2018 uh, to pivot and to take the same peer-to-peer concept, but to apply it to a much larger industry and one that was much riper for disruption and was feeling a lot more pain um, that could be solved via technology. And so, you know, being the avid sports enthusiast that we are um, and uh, the, the avid betting uh, uh, enthusiasts that we are, we decided to take the peer-to-peer concept and apply it to sports betting. So if you think about sports betting, you know, all sports betting up until now has been basically uh, uh, handled by a third-party intermediary called a bookmaker. And bookmakers have been around for centuries, um, basically facilitating transactions between two parties and acting as a middleman. And, and really, they're, <laughs> they're really the ultimate definition of a middleman. Um, they provide no value add, really, other than just moving money around. Uh, they charge huge fees, bad customer service, 
terrible technology and uh, just a very uh, opaque, uh, non-trustworthy experience. And so we've, you know, just being in uh, blockchain and crypto, we're like, hey, look, there's a better way for uh, facilitating sports betting than through a bookmaker, a centralized third party. And that is via, of course, a decentralized third party marketplace. So we built uh, Zen Sports as such. Uh, it's a peer-to-peer sports betting marketplace <clears throat> where anybody can come in and create and accept sports bets with anyone else in the world without the need for a bookmaker. And it's super simple. You just come in, you create a bet, uh, set your own odds and terms, and it gets added to the marketplace. And then anyone else can accept those bets. Um, and then we 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 solve for another thing, uh, which is um, the payments issue within betting and gambling products. Um, traditional financial institutions don't like facilitating transactions to betting or gaming products. Uh, they decline those transactions or they charge huge fees or they take a long time to process them. And so um, we're like, hey, this could be one of the first best real world use cases of cryptocurrencies. So, um, you know, because obviously it's it's fully decentralized and no third party uh, you know, centralized third party saying, yes, you can do this or no, you can't. So we implemented cryptocurrencies and specifically our own sports token into the betting process. So you can easily fund your account. You can easily, um, you know, place bets, deposit, withdraw, wager, and then uh, earn loyalty and rewards around the token also uh, for betting. So it's just this really fun, clean mobile experience for betting on sports uh, that uses blockchain and crypto to disintermediate uh, the bookmaker and uh, fin- traditional financial institutions. Huh, that's awesome. So w- what exactly does your token do in the uh, in the experience for a user? Sure. So, uh, so a few things. So you can deposit the tokens really easily and get the funds in. Uh, so that's the first thing. So getting money into an account is much, much easier than with traditional fiat. The second thing is that you actually are wagering with sports tokens. Now we do offer the ability to bet in dollars. However, almost 100% of the bets in our app take place using our sports token simply because we have built this really fun gamified experience around it and also built a loyalty and rewards program around it where you get incentivized for using our token. So you can, for example, earn discounts on betting fees. You can earn cashback bonuses. Uh, you can earn other p- cool perks and bonuses for for using our token. And so while we offer people the ability to bet in dollars, they almost unanimously gravitate towards using our token um, because it's a, it's just a, it's an all-encompassing, fun way to bet on sports. Um, of course, you know, uh, with the ability to win money and uh, simultaneously um, get rewarded for your play in a more trustworthy, fun environment. Yeah. Okay. So, does someone buy the token offline or another marketplace or exchange, and then come to Zen Sports? Or they buy it here. So we actually launched our own trading exchange within Zen Sports um, in January. So if you don't want to use a third-party exchange, if you're just like, hey, I just want to use Zen Sports, transact in Zen Sports, do everything in Zen Sports, you can. So you can actually buy, sell, and trade the token directly within our app. We are getting listed on a third-party exchange, uh, P2P. Uh, B2B is a uh, top 25 um, by volume uh, cryptocurrency exchange based out of the EU. Um, we're getting listed there on Monday. And we are talking to other exchanges as well about getting listed with them too. So if you prefer to uh, buy, sell, or trade the token outside of the Zen Sports app, you'll be able to do so starting next week. Cool. Well, what do they look like? Or what do they look for? What do the other exchanges kind of ask you about? What do they care about when they think about listing a coin? Oh, well, lots of things actually. So good question. Um, so first of all, our token is a true utility token. Uh, so we have a 20-page legal opinion that it is a utility token. Um, since we never sold it to investors, it was 
strictly and only used for um, wagering and earning rewards in network within our app um, from the very beginning when we launched it last summer. So we have an in-depth legal opinion on that. That's something that exchanges care about because they don't want to get into the business of trading securities um, or something that could be deemed a security by the SEC. Um, So that's really critical um, in terms of having that box checked off, um, you know, from a legal and regulatory perspective. Um, the other stuff is just a good project, you know, just your, your, your bona fide real company. That's not going to be gone tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if the market turns sour or whatever. And so that's also really important. So you have, you know, financial backing, you have a legitimate team, uh, on your team, you have a legitimate product, uh, you're, you're, you're legitimate. You're not just, you know, trying to, uh, create some pump and dump coin or scheme or something like that. I think those are really the two biggies. Um, and then um, most exchanges do charge a fee, so you have to be willing to to pay a listing fee, um, which is which is pretty huh. standard. Uh, and that's you know I think they do that a lot because they actually have some technology implementation they have to do on their end. Um, plus, it's a way. Is that, to a, out. Is that a single? That's typically a single single one time fee, or that's yeah. a percentage of tr- transactions. Well, so it's a single one-time fee to get listed. That's the listing fee. And then, um, you know, the, the exchange charges uh, its customers to, of course, trade our token as well as any other tokens, mm-hmm. right? Just like you would if you traded tokens on any exchange. So that's basically their two kind of forms of, of way they make money. And then they, they also offer kind of bolt-on add-on services as well. Uh, so, for example, they'll, they'll help with market making. Uh, they'll help with filling the order book and managing trade volume. Uh, to keep things um, full. Um, so it's not like a ghost town when you come in there. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So basic standard market making services and volume order services, stuff like that. Um, they also do things like um, marketing and IEO, um, but that's not really uh, smiled upon by the SEC uh, in terms of mm-hmm. like, if you want to keep your utility token status. So we don't, we don't engage in any of that behavior just because then they can kind of um, they might market in a way we don't want, and then that could be problematic. We just need to stick to it being a traditional u- listing of a utility token for the purpose of, of buying, selling, and trading it without, without possibly misinforming people about the purposes of it via like some large marketing campaign. Mm, I see, because you're kind of in some way exposed to the risk of the exchange using their own words to describe what your utility token is, and somehow it could be... I guess that's the that's the assumption is it potentially is misunderstood by people, and then the SEC looks at it as a you know risk that it's actually a security. Exactly. So when you contract with somebody, if you sign the contract to pay anybody money, whether it be an employee or a third party or a contractor or whatnot, you're basically at arm's length with that that party, and you've engaged them, and then they can say if they say things on your behalf that are wrong or untrue, that is a huge problem. Now, let's say we don't sign a contract, we don't engage them to do marketing, and they just off the hip or off the cuff just go and say something, then that's not our problem. Because they, we, we never formally engage with them to do it. If they say something you know, untrue, that's on them. But if we engage with a company you know, to, to do mar- any kind of work for us, the, the way the SEC interprets that is that we've done our due diligence and informed them of what can and can't be done and said. And so then if they do something wrong, then we're on the hook for that. So to just Got totally it. not have to worry about that, we stay, we stay clear of any, um, you know, quote unquote marketing of our token other than the marketing of it when it comes to uh, using it in network for sports betting or payments uh, as a currency for sports and sports betting. 
Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I'm curious, how did you guys do the uh, exchange? Is there a um, like a like a not a plug in exchange, but some sort of framework you used for facilitating <laughs> the uh, on site exchange? It was very long hours for three weeks straight. (laughs) We built it natively ourselves, believe it or not. Uh, So yeah, uh, it was a lot of work. And now I understand why exchanges, um, you know, that's their value add and their, their value proposition can be just that is because, and and we don't, we don't, by the way, have anywhere near all the bells and whistles that a traditional exchange would have, but it's uh, by, by far and away more than sufficient for uh, trading our token in our app. But we, we, we weren't ever going to just stay limited to that. We definitely wanted to get listed on third-party exchanges to, you know, to, to have more um, breadth of where the token could be accessible and access. Like, let's say, for example, people don't want to, um, you know, use it to uh, bet on sports. Let's say they want to use it to uh, pay for something else. Like we're actually, uh, looking to expand our sports utility token usage beyond just sports betting and get it into other sports and gaming and entertainment ecosystem partners. And so we actually just launched that a couple of weeks ago where, for example, we're talking to ticketing companies and merchandisers and uh, um, you know media companies within the sports entertainment space about implementing our sports token into their platforms as well. And so if that's the case, we don't want them to have to come to Zen Sports to buy the token and then take it out to go use it somewhere else. It's just best if it's in a third-party neutral place. Mm-hmm. So, so it makes just a lot of sense for a lot of reasons for us to still be listed on third-party exchanges. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Does any? I mean, from an infrastructure standpoint or a technical standpoint, nothing really keeps you tied to sports, right? Other than just the branding and the progress you guys have made. So you you could there's a website. I forget what it is. You you'd know. It's like a you could bet on like whether Trump will, you know, say the word China in his next speech. It's like betting on anything. Yeah, Algor. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of a general prediction marketplace. Um, so good question. I think yes. So a couple things. So first of all, sports betting in itself is a hundred and twenty billion dollar revenue a year business worldwide. So it's a big enough opportunity for us to go after in and of itself without ever touching anything else. Does that mean we'll never touch anything else? No, um, we certainly might. Uh, I think it's not just the branding piece, though, that keeps us in sports, at least for now. Um, it's also just from a focus standpoint, you know, as a startup, it's always important to have good focus, um, you know, from mm-hmm. a product development perspective, marketing, as you mentioned, um, just kind of keeping us all on the same train of thought um, to, to be focused on the right thing. Also, from a community standpoint and a community building standpoint, you know, building community around one collective thing like sports is a lot easier than trying to build it around politics and weather and sports and business and just who knows what else you could, you know, place bets on. So while we certainly probably will expand into other kind of prediction marketplaces at some point, um, we like where we're sitting right now with sports. Now, that being said, we've added new sports recently for people to bet on like esports and MMA in addition to all the traditional oh, sports that cool. we've yeah. So what we yeah. we prefer to kind of expand vertically versus horizontally for now. Mm, mm, yeah, that makes sense. Almost. I mean, we're in it. Today is what May fourteenth, so we're still in the in the midst of the quarantine, and there's virtually no sports going on, right? I mean, there's no no group sports. At least there's no team sports being played, as far as I know, right? So here's what we've got going on. So we have esports uh, because you know video games can happen at <laughs> anywhere <Yeah>. from home. <laughs> no problem there. Uh, that is uh, this is esports time to shine. That is for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so um, that's 
uh, you know, been going on from the beginning. MMA just came back last Saturday. So UFC 249 had their fight card on Saturday and it went great. So huh. they, have mul- they have multiple fights, multiple matches per uh, on the card. And everybody got tested. It was just the fighters and the ref and maybe a cameraman and a couple others. Um, no fans or anything like that. Um, mm. Before each match, they tested each fighter. And here, here's what, and this isn't cool that this happened, but it's cool how they handled it. One of the fighters did test positive. They just canceled that particular fight and all the others went on without a hitch. And so I think that's a really great signal to the rest of uh, the other sports that want to come back that you can test people in real time, the players and the athletes, um, before each game starts. And if somebody tests positive, you just remove them out and let the rest of it go on. And, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, I, mean, I don't actually follow UFC, even though now we have betting on it, which is, which is great. I, I don't, I don't follow it, but I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super thrilled that they're proving out how this can be done. And now this weekend, NASCAR is coming back. So NASCAR is coming back this weekend. Bundesliga soccer league in Germany is coming back this weekend. Uh, it sounds like a couple of other soccer leagues will be coming back next week or, or sorry, later this month. Golf, uh, excuse me. Uh, the PGA is resuming uh, June 11th. And then it sounds like all the other major American League sports like uh, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball will be coming back July 4th or, oh, or, or early yeah. July. That's awesome. That's good to hear. I think they'll, it sounds like the stadiums will be empty or right. will, will they just space people out? Like every people sit at one seat, you know, odds and evens. Well, so to start with, absolutely 100%, there won't be any fans. I mean, that's a given uh, to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, and there's really, like, I think that's fine. I mean, it's it's not ideal, but it's fine. So um, so I think it's, you know, that's what's going to happen, and we just have to live with it. Then, I mean, if things continue to progress as more states lift their, their lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, and if things stay reasonably contained, and then the leagues start, and there's very few issues there... Then I foresee like what has happened already in Asia, which is they start bringing the fans back in just more spaced out. So I could maybe see by, I don't know, let's just call it mid to late August. I could see some arenas or stadiums having fans spaced out, but, you know, kind of baby steps here. First, let's get, um, you know, some of the leagues back. Then let's get all the leagues back um, just with the players, making sure everything's safe and good. Then that final step would be, uh, bringing fans back in, uh, probably albeit spaced out. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Sports definitely took the brunt of the hit. I'm sure, just like you know, music and other concerts. Um, I was going to ask you. So, so sports betting. Like, if you almost take a step back and think about the the process of what's going on, it's it's wagering um, some value, monetary exchange for the anticipation of a future outcome one way or the other like sports is a domain but i think almost more about betting conceptually is uh it's just an interesting thing that people seem to be super attracted to you know if you almost like like there's some there's an attractiveness to games you know if you go to a casino and you're you're like engaged in a game with uh you know blackjack or poker mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's about the game and then there's some outcome from the game and you either win or lose and there's, there's consequences from that, namely the, the stakes of the game. But with betting, it's, it's like there's no, there's no game, there's no involvement of the person betting, it's just purely placing value in the potential outcomes. And 
I was doing a little research on the history of betting and like when it first came around. And it seems like it's been around forever, like almost as far yeah. back as written human language yeah. goes. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I don't know if you've given any thought to why people are so attracted to betting, you know, out of all the ways you could spend your money. It just seems like such a, a thrill just to throw it on black or throw it on the blue team. And right. then, you know, because I can't imagine how many people have a strategic insight, you know, where they're actually aware of some disadvantage or advantage a team has and they're doing it, you know, to make money like you would maybe in, um, you know, day trading. Even then, it's probably just betting. Right. So, uh, so a couple of things. One, uh, sports betting is one of the few things that you can strategically uh, research, study, find and potentially gain an advantage on. Um, there's only a handful of those kinds of um things that you can do that for uh, sports betting would be one poker would be another. Um, both of those um, are, are, you know, if, if you, if you study the numbers, study the data, study the information out there, you can, you can definitely gain an advantage or, or, you know, even be professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then theoretically card counting at blackjack would be a, a third. Um, but the casinos won't let you play very long. If you do that, um, not illegal. Everyone thinks card counting is illegal. Yeah, or illegal. if you're good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. try it. Card counting is not illegal. Everyone thinks it is. It's not, it's just simply, uh, the house has the right to just refuse your play and just say, sorry, you can't play here anymore. Um, so that's, that's basically that those are really the only three you could maybe also argue horse racing, and I guess a few others, all the other typical traditional casino games and certainly slots, um, no matter what, you can't statistically gain an advantage over the house. Now, of course, from one trip to the next or, or even over a few years, you could actually uh, have a great streak and, uh, and, and win. But, t- but mathematically, statistically, if you're playing, for example, craps or um, roulette or um, some of the other uh, table games, you will statistically in the end lose um, just because the house has the mathematical advantage baked into the rules of the game. Okay. Uh, conversely, uh, sports betting does not have that. Sports betting has simply um, a, a, a proposition, a wager, um, and odds tied to that wager. So there's no statistical advantage built in other than what the house takes in terms of their revenue, um, their their cut of it, their fee. Um, so now it's hard to be good enough to overcome that fee. So don't just think, oh, anybody can do it. Um, because that fee is anywhere from five to geez, 20% that the, uh, sports books will charge for the privilege of placing bets with them. So that means you got to be way, way better than the average to make up for that fee to actually be able to make money in the long run. But there are definitely people who are good enough at doing it. Conversely, I don't care how much you study anything at uh, roulette, the house will always have a 5% <laughs> advantage over you, no matter what you do, uh, unless you have a rigged wheel. Um, that's it. It's just the bottom line is you cannot gain advantage. Where sports betting, you can. And that means that sports books, if you become a true quote unquote um, sharp or advantage player, um, where you statistically or where you are constantly winning more than you're losing, what the sports books will eventually do is just uh, refuse your play um, because they uh, know that you will win in the long run and they're not in the business of losing money. What's cool about Zen sports, since we're a peer to peer marketplace, we're not a bookmaker. We don't care who wins or loses. We just take a marketplace fee regardless of who's creating and accepting bets. So we don't turn away advantage players um, or those that are really good. And oh, that's a good thing. yeah. And so, um, 
Yeah, that's ver- there's a very uh, interesting uh, story from ESPN, I believe a year and a half or two years ago, called One and Done. It was W-O-N and Done, uh, not O-N-E. And uh, basically, it was basically talking about how sports books ban those that win too much in sports betting because you can, if you're good, um, you will you you basically have the advantage over the sports book. Hmm. In, in, really? So the, these guys are just, is their strategy to just dive into the data, mm-hmm. dive into the, the subjective and the, the objective and just, just brute force <laughs> yeah. build models and win? Is that generally what they're doing behind the scenes? Yeah, exactly. So I just had a guest actually on our podcast uh, recently um, from a company called Cleet Street, and they have built out very advanced statistical models for wagering on uh, Major League Baseball and uh, NFL. Um, and so I, I don't want to misquote some of the numbers he talked about in terms of, um, you know, bets placed amount wagered and won, but, uh, they, they definitely have made money. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's part of, so you can get really advanced, really quantitative about it with very advanced statistical models like they do, or you can be a little bit more of a combination of some data plus just very good, like insight into players and stuff like almost like a scout would in terms of evaluating talent. Right. Um, and, and so forth. And then you can even do deeper dives into things like, like the referees and the stadium conditions, um, and all sorts of stuff. For example, like in the NFL, certain referees will throw more flags than other, than other referees, like certain, certain referees just call more fouls than other referees. Um, certain, you know, weather conditions of course play a factor. Certain teams are, uh, terrible, on the road, certain teams are not. Uh, another like interesting stat, like certain teams on the West Coast, like when they fly east um, for like a 10 a.m. football game, they're just they're just awful. And there's other ones that are not. So they they really you know dig deep into those kinds of data to really form a thesis on uh, on certain bets. And then when they find value in those bets, like reasonably good odds, um, where it makes sense to uh, place a bet. They do that, but they're selective. They don't just bet on anything. They wait for that right value for the right bet, and then they they nail that. Oh, that's interesting. I'm sure there's got to be some pretty complex uh, quantitative models out there that are just calculating yes. exactly how much to put in each different area. There's right. a good story. I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, the book was called um, Handicapping for Better or for Better or for Worse: uh, A Perspective on Sports on uh, Horse Racing. And it basically gave these statisticians uh, something like five pieces of data about the horse. You know, how many races they've won, how many they've been in, how old are they, mm-hmm. uh, how, how heavy is the jockey. And then they made uh, uh, calculated bets on the, the horse races. Um, and then they asked the, each, of the, each of the bettors how confident they were in their bet. And so they say something like, oh, I'm 25% confident that, that this horse will win or whatever it is. And then they gave them like 25 pieces of data and they let them, you know, anything you want about the horse and the jockey and the history and the location, the weather, everything. And, and then they asked them, uh, how confident you are. And they went up to like 40%. So basically they with more data, they were way more confident. But what was interesting about this was that they were no better at predicting the outcome. So, Mm-hmm. Having 19, 20, 25 pieces of data wasn't actually any better for, for, for horse racing than it would to have five. And I, I think the human bias there is that you feel that there's like a diminished return for right. information. And, right. Uh, you know, you just feel and you kind of over bias to that. So more information you feel is better, but it's like it becomes noise at a certain point. 
Yeah, and I don't know anybody that truly only looks at the quantitative piece um, for sports betting that just like lets the model just spit out this and then they just do exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. They still will look at it with a human eye to make sure it passes their smell tests uh, that it will be a, a, a value bet. Um, and yes, you're right. Too much data, I think, is is a problem. There's probably a sweet spot. Uh, again, I'm not a modeler when it comes to this, but there's probably a sweet spot of of exact data points to look at to um to have a good picture without being clouded by noise, because um, that, of course, can be a factor as well too um, with when evaluating this. Um, and and I, I'm sorry, I forgot to answer your other question, like you know, with regards to like why people have been wanting to bet since the beginning of time. So, uh, and this, I think plays really you know well into like what we're doing is i i think human beings just have this deep innate desire to be right and to predict the future and you see it everywhere um and and i do too i mean i i'm i'm i don't want to say i'm guilty of it because i don't think it's a bad thing but i just i do it as well everybody does it everybody wants to be right and to predict the future and it and it's in, in it's with regards to everything. So like you see it with regards to, of course, sports. Um, you see it with regards to uh, you know trading, for example, like cryptocurrencies. You see it with regards to um, uh, COVID. You know what what you know oh, yeah. where's it going to hit and what's going to happen. Everything. Everyone's an expert. Everybody is a freaking expert on it. And so I, I really <laughs> think that it comes down to just that deep desire that humans love to be right they love to predict the future because then what ends up happening is they end up being you know looked up to and adored and so forth so i I really think that that's where it really comes down to in terms of why people have this innate desire to bet yeah yeah and then and then accumulating you know accumulating resources whether it's money shells or tokens is Mm -hmm. kind of the the quantitative accumulation of that reputation building which is interesting um do you see do you see people who are on the platform now betting who just stand out as outliers from everyone else? They just are like uh, black swans in the return, or is it or is it really like a a tight bell curve? Um, no, I mean, yeah, we definitely have people that are uh, above that perform above average. There's no question about that. Um, but again, we don't care about that because um, we're just uh, the marketplace, uh, the technology marketplace. Um, I would say by and large, most people fall into that normal, um, whatever you want to call it, standard deviation of success, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're right around uh, 48 to 52% of the time, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in it. And then, of course, um, we have those that perform higher and those that perform lower. Just to be clear about something, if you are you could be professional sports better if you're right 55% of the time, usually. And you can, you're like a Yoda if you're right 60% of the time. So anybody is there, that thinks- is somebody who's right 60% of the time on the, on the platform? Uh, no, not, no, nobody's that good. Um, <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> no, nobody's that good. Um, but we definitely have some folks that are in that 55 ish area. Um, uh, and, and you could, you could make a living doing that. Um, and then, like I said, if you're 60, you're, you're like a God, um, anybody that says that they get three quarters of their bets, right. Is full of garbage. Cause, um, uh, that just doesn't, you know, it's yeah, not, yeah. maybe not, they made not happening. Four bets. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Obviously sample size is different, but, uh, but in the long run, um, no, you're, you're, you're great if you can do 55 and you're just out of this world if you're at 60. 
Has anyone talked about AI and, and say, hypothetically, the ability to just aggregate all information on the internet, all conversations, all transcripts of every interview with every player, and you just throw it into the most intelligent uh, AI machine? Is you, Can you see a scenario where 15 years from now, there's like the AI house bot on Zen Sports? It's just, it's like just crushing people 68% of the time? Uh, no, well, could it theoretically happen? Of course. Um, but, but no, because of the, uh, efficiency of information. So, um, in fact, again, we were talking about this the other day is that the, the, the thing with like trading stocks is, you know, those models and that science has been around for decades and um, the technology to facilitate that has been around for a long time as well. So you have a lot more efficient information in something like trading stock or securities or commodities or whatever it might be. With sports, however, uh, the efficient—you know—the efficient market hypothesis, right? That everybody has all perfect information at all times, just is just flat out not true. And even if you had AI that was able to take all that data, we already have simulations. Um, like, you know, uh, AccuScore and some of the other ones that are out there um, that can run 10,000 simulations of a game and predict, like, the, this team's going to win 72.3% of the time. But they're never going to get it exactly right. Um, and the reason why is because there's too many variables with humans um, that you don't get with, like, stocks or commodities or other stuff like that. So a guy could get injured on the first play of a game. Boom, that changes everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the weather could change uh, t- compared to what was forecasted. Boom, that changes everything. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you could have a player just get crazy lucky and hot on a hot stretch, yeah, yeah. you know, on one particular God, game. I, yeah. I almost think that, like, everything you just mentioned there, I'm thinking, like, weather, core player get hurt, uh, you know, any other dynamic, like esports seem out of all the sports where the dynamic, the variables are just minimized, you know, the like person getting hot potentially, but I mean, injury is not a factor, weather, not a factor. I, I wonder if it's like inside information on esports. I'd be curious to see how that plays out for you because mm-hmm. esports is just such a massive market, but also so it's just hard to get any it's probably hyper quantified too, right? You should be able to have so many statistics since it's all happening through a computer. No, I don't agree with that because you're still dealing with humans that are playing and humans are still subject to other things like fatigue, burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're, um, you know, tired. They, um, I don't know, got in a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend and, you know, <laughs> yeah, now yeah. their head isn't in the right place. Um, there's still variables that go into it. And then it also, the the reason why there's so many variables is because it's not just what you are doing, but also everyone else on your team. And then also what your opponents are doing. And so there's a million different variables that can actually come out that are taken into the outcome of, uh, or that result that help uh, formulate the outcome for even esports as well too. Um, that I, I, no, I mean, because like when you're like, even like, for example, you're going to play Madden, right? Like, you know, you, you pick your team, the other guy picks his team and let's say, you know, you're a, you know, or an A player and you're, you know, you win 80% of your matches and, and whatnot. Well, you know, what happens if the other guy just has a, just a really good day, right? And so, um, or you just happen to be off by a little bit for whatever reason. I mean, like the old adage of sports is a game of inches can play out in video games too, right? Mm. You might just miss 
throwing that one bomb by, you know, a, a fraction of an inch. And that changes the entire way the rest of the outcome of the, of the map, like for example, in League of Legends goes. So, you know, that's, I think the variable that people don't realize. And then also the other part of this is that a lot of it for the most part is still baked into the odds. So while the odds may not be perfect, perfect, they're still pretty darn good that you'd really have to, I mean, you have to be in it for the long run is the bottom line. From one game, one match to the next, there's there's still always going to be variability. Just no way. Just like there's in one hand of blackjack and one throw the dice of craps, one spin of the roulette wheel, anything can happen. And so uh, that's why you have to bet a lot. You have to have a lot of volume. And that's one of the reasons why when I was talking to Dan from Cleet Street, he likes betting on baseball so much is because there's so many games throughout a season that he can remove some of that volatility from one game to the next by just placing so many bets throughout the season. Huh. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. That makes sense. Um, I want to ask you about, so I'm, I'm always fascinated by the, uh, the uh, political side of it or like the philosophical side on our, our government. We're both in California and the United States Supreme court declared uh, in 1992, I guess those, so that you couldn't bet between the seventies uh, it was like the history of sports betting is not legal, right? There's like a prohibition era when people couldn't bet at all. And then it looks like in 1992, the Amateur Sports Protection Act effectively outlawed sports betting na- nationwide. Is that so? What's your, yeah, what's your take on, on the legality of it? And I guess where it is and yeah. what you think it. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me, it. yeah, let me start at the beginning here. So I believe it was in the 60s, the Wire Act was the initial legislation that was passed at the federal level um, to combat sports betting. And basically what the Wire Act said is that it's illegal to transmit across state lines any kind of um, uh, sports bet, not for the person uh, actually wagering, not for the better, but the operator, the, the bookie. Um, and it made it a federal crime and uh, you know punishable by a long prison sentence and all that stuff. And really the purpose of the Wire Act was really to curtail the mob. Um, because really mm-hmm. at that point, the only uh, facilitators of most sports bets was uh, the mafia. And so this was really, the Wire Act um, was put in place to curtail the mob. It really had nothing to do with sports. I didn't want to say had nothing to do with sports betting, but it really, it, it wasn't it wasn't to uh, say we frown upon sports betting. It was to have a much easier time prosecuting mob members. Um, okay, we can't get you on this racketeering uh, charge. Well, you you uh, you ran a book. You know, you took a sports book. You took a sports bet. Now we got you there. So um, so that's really what that and the, was. And the mob was just the mob was just into into sports betting, huh? That was just a, a yeah, like it's a popular a, pastime. Yeah, it was. It, well, it's easier to operate than a full blown casino. You don't need all these you know land physical operations. You just need a guy and a phone and uh, maybe a TV and a radio. Um, and uh, a, a ledger to keep track of all the, the, the bets. I mean, it's it, very low overhead, in other words, yeah. um, with high yeah. with high margins. So um, so anyway, so that was that in the 60s. And then basically nothing happened until the early 90s, like you said. So the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA, was um, enacted uh, by Congress. And that further um, put a stranglehold on any sports betting uh, except for in uh, Nevada. Um, at the casinos in Nevada. Then in 2000, I believe it's five or 2006, got to double check, um, the Unlawful Internet uh, uh, Gambling Act came along uh, to take into account internet 
betting. And that basically said, nope, all internet gambling uh, you can't do. Now, uh, across all of this, it's still not illegal for people to put to um, to place a wager. What's illegal is for operators to do it. Okay, so you it is one thousand million percent legal for you to place a bet with an offshore sports book and to to place a wager. Nothing illegal. We're talking strictly operators here. Okay, so two thousand five, two thousand six, uh, UIEGA was passed. Fast forward to 2018, PASPA was struck down by the Supreme Court. So the the uh, federal legislation that you quoted, the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, was struck down by the Supreme Court in May of 2018, literally two years ago. Um, oh wow! And that said, did not did not make sports betting legal at the federal level. It said to states, "Hey, you can now go legalize sports betting if you want." So in the last two years since PASPA was struck down, 18 states have legalized sports betting, plus the District of Columbia. Um, and then another 27 have introduced bills or passed bills to, uh, start offering sports betting in the near future. So it is projected within the next 12 to 24 months that, uh, 40 to 45 states will have legalized sports betting, um, offered by operators in those states. And it's accelerating fast. Um, and yeah, not I almost wonder like why why did it even happen in the first place? I mean, did it really? Well, I guess why was there momentum behind making it illegal? It just seems so well to curtail the mob, to really to curtail the mob. I mean, and then really? and then and then the problem was is once you have the problem is is once you have the notion that sports betting is associated with these unsavory characters, then you just have this moral issue where people go, oh, that's not right. Well, guess what? The rest of the world has had legalized sports betting for decades. And it is part of the culture and it is not a problem at all. And people don't have any issues in doing it. And they have, they have little kiosks step, set up like all over the city where you can play sports bet. Like it's as, as, as mainstream as a vending machine would be to buy food to get snacks out of. So it's just a culture thing that that's what it was associated with. That's what it's always been. But that attitude's changing. I mean, Generation Z and millennials, they don't remember anything about the mob. And yeah. they want to be able to place bets on the games that they love watching. And that's why you see the tide is changing. It's changing fast. Yeah, yeah. It feels very similar to the cannabis movement. Right. There was some old stigmatized like federal campaign and the war on drugs. And then people right. wake up to realize this is just a plant that grows out of yep. the ground and people should be able to do whatever they want. And exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I hope, I hope we're in a movement away from heavy handed government around people's throats. And at least maybe it's moving to more like less, yeah. less overt ways with cannabis and sports betting and things that should be legal for people to do. Um, yeah, that's just, yeah. It's just amazing to me that people let this happen. Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a period in our country where it was just, you know, it was just like, you know, the moral police were out. They had a stranglehold on everything and uh, they, they had a very big grip and uh, they didn't let go. And people were fine with it for who knows what reasons why. Um, but thankfully, I look, I really credit a lot of it to uh, the internet and social media. Uh, in terms of changing the tide on that, because without those immediate real-time information of what's going on and without the ability to have conversations online, it becomes tough. Like, I mean, it's just the spread of information is so much faster nowadays than it was 25 years ago that it just, there, there would be no momentum. Momentum wasn't a thing when it came to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, really a lot of stuff. Um, but especially when it came to legalization of, you know, things that were maybe taboo. So with this, with the, you know, people are seeing, oh, this state's legalized and now that state's legalized and now that state's legalized. What do they say? Well, they're like, well, why, 
when am I, when is my state going to be next? Right. They don't, they don't yeah, go, Oh, this yeah. is bad. Well, maybe a few do, but most of them go, I want that too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so, of course. And yeah. then there you go. And that's why it spreads. Do you guys promote any um, kind of uh, campaigns trying to legalize it? Or is there any leading, I don't know what you'd call it, association or um, convenience of people that are trying to get sports betting legalized? Uh, there are some gaming associations that, that do that are at that. That's expensive. I mean, so for a startup yeah. like us, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why we're not in the U.S. market yet. We're actually going to be entering into oh, a you're not. No, we're going to be entering into two states later this year. Right now, we're 100% international outside the United States. Um, for for these reasons, um, so you know, without how license in a specific state, we don't have the right to operate here. But we do have the op- right to operate outside the U.S., so that's why we do. Um, but uh, that would be expensive to do the lobbying that you're kind of indicating, and we don't really need to do that. The tide's already turning; it's already happening without us doing anything like that. Um, the only the, there's only one major problem right now with the legalization of sports betting in the U.S., and that is for all technology apps or products like us to be able to operate in new states, every state except one uh, requires you to own or partner with a physical brick and mortar location to operate your mobile or, or online sports betting product. So that's what we have to do first. We're, we're partnering with brick and mortars to get that done, but um, it's going to happen. You know, we're excited to, to be able to uh, get into a couple states later this year and uh, you know, we'll just continue to make inroads here and, and, and we're very excited for the future here because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly um, early, but progressing quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, as a startup founder, you always find ways to hack the system, so yeah. to speak, find some local representation or brick and mortar. Uh, but yeah, what, what, an, what a fun um, idea. What, what was, I forgot if you mentioned this in the beginning or if I asked you, but what was the um, inspiration behind this, this specific idea? So, so again, we started out as a rec sports product and we, we really thought like. Even before that, like were, were you oh. just into, you just like are a diehard sports guy. And oh yeah. Sorry. So build something yeah. Growing up in Wisconsin, um, I was a diehard, uh, Packers, Bucks and Brewers fan, um, and have been since the late eighties and early nineties. And so I've been crazy. Like I am, I'm beyond diehard. Uh, when it comes to sports. Ah, awesome. That's yeah. what it is, yep. And I started getting into sports betting in 1996 when I went off to college um, and just really enjoyed adding that extra element, especially for other games that didn't involve my teams um, to to have that excitement and whatnot. And I got pretty good at it too. And then I put that on pause for a while as I was, you know, you know, growing up and doing other stuff um, and, you know, recently started to get back into it. And, and as we were making the decision to pivot a couple of years ago, I, I just knew that this type of application could be applied to sports betting. And I knew that traditional bookmakers were, I mean, at some point they were on their way out with how f- high fees they charge and stuff. So it was really, I don't want to say it was a no brainer, but it really just, it made sense from the beginning. We knew this was going to have good product market fit. And then adding that cryptocurrency piece was just like, that was like the, the, the icing on the cake to streamline the entire process and get rid of all the nonsense that comes with, uh, you know, quote unquote vice tech. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. That's cool. Well, what are a couple other companies you look up to or admire either in crypto or sports or elsewhere, things that you maybe pull inspiration from? Hmm. Oh man, that's a good uh, question. Hmm. Let me see. Um, well, there's a few different ones for different reasons that I really like. Um, I'll say in terms of like big, like old school technology players, uh, type of, you know, looking up to, 
Um, I really look up to LinkedIn because I really believe like they have, they have built basically the world's directory. And that is no easy feat at all. So Reid Hoffman, who's one of the co-founders, I mean, he's definitely one of the more inspirational, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and VCs out there. And I, you know, if it's sure there's a not, you know, there's definitely a fair amount of spam and some junk that's, that's on there. But in terms of just building out the world's directory, you know, um, you know, in any kind of network like that, I just find that to be remarkable, especially on the professional side where most people don't want to be professional in social media. You get a lot of yeah. like, you get a lot of, uh, you know, hate on social media, especially Twitter uh, and whatnot. And I think that th- they found this formula for not only being able to find and research anything you want about anybody, but to also keep it civilized. And that's just, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. And it's held the test of time. And I think Microsoft got a steal when they bought it for, I think it was what, 23 billion a couple years ago, either 23 or 26. Yeah. Total steal. And that company's worth more than a hundred. Um, and so yeah. I just, you know, uh, that's for me, um, you know, very inspirational. And then I, geez, I don't have a specific company, but I just, my hat's off to all of the blockchain and crypto companies that are, that are, I think sometimes scorned because they're trying to do something too new or, you know, you get a lot of spammers or scammers within uh, the cryptocurrency space, but still the hats off to the folks that are actually trying to do good in this space and um, that are trying to create better technologies to decentralize. And, you know, you come back to the kind of libertarian concept of less government oversight. And the only way that happens is if there's technology that removes the middleman. There's just the only way that happens. And that's what blockchain set out to do. And um, it's, I'm, I'm super thankful to those that are working on that problem and that we get to build our token, for example, and smart contracts on, those kinds of products and uh, technologies that exist out there. Yeah, I love it. Amen, man. I, those are great answers right there. Um, what What are you guys looking for now? Are there any specific things, whether it be investment or strategy or hiring people or anything else you want to throw out to people? And also mention where people can uh, get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, are expanding to the U.S. as I mentioned. So that's uh, one of the big projects for us over the next four months. Uh, we are hoping to be in Nevada and Colorado um, by the NFL season in September. Uh, that's the target. If not, then then for sure by the end of this year. And then from there, use that as a springboard to go into the rest of the states that have legalized sports betting in 2021. Uh, so U.S. expansion is at the top of the list for us. Uh, we also actually just rolled out a B2B and enterprise product. Um, we rolled out a white label solution of our sports betting app. So media companies like Fox and CBS and NBC and so forth, they're actually looking to white label betting products to offer their audience to further drive engagement for their broadcasts. Um, so that's one thing that we're doing as well as giving, uh, I kind of mentioned earlier on in the broadcast or in the podcast that we're, um, talking to media partners about, or talking to enterprise partners in the sports gaming and, and media and entertainment space about tapping into our sports token because I really do envision a world uh, within sports and media and entertainment where our token can be used across ecosystem, uh, across all the different things that might touch on in that space. And I think that's just really super duper exciting that that crypto doesn't have to just be, it doesn't just have to be a speculative tool. It doesn't just have to be for uh, for gambling. It can really actually have real world use case applications. And that's what we're trying to do here. We want to be the first most real world use application for cryptocurrencies. And so um, that's what gets me going every morning and gets me excited. 
and waking up um, and just, you know, excited about our future. Um, and it's super easy to find us at just Zen sports, uh, all one word, dot com uh, or dot co or dot IO, whatever your domain of choice is that you prefer to use. We have all of them. Um, <laughs> and uh, from there, you can find out everything about us and or download our app. Cool. And are you on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Zen Sports is on Twitter. And then I'm personally on Twitter, Entrepreneur uh, S, uh, as in Sam, and F as in Frank, uh, which stands for San nice. Francisco. So, yeah. Nice. Entrepreneur SF. Yes. Nice handle. I think. Uh, yeah, cool, man. Well, I really enjoyed it. Get to know you and get some background of the company and hear your thoughts and progress. It's been uh, exciting. And I wish you the best, more than the best, and best of luck. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on the pod. It was great. Uh, great conversation. And, uh, have, a, have an amazing evening. Around the Coin is sponsored by Redeem. Redeem is the safest place to trade Bitcoin for discounted gift cards. Whether you have gift cards you want to trade for Bitcoin or you want to save 20% or more on discount gift cards at your favorite retailers like Amazon, Walmart, eBay, and Best Buy, check out Redeem.com to start trading today. That's Redeem, spelled R-E-D-E-E-E-M.com. Remember, redeem with three E's to trade your Bitcoin for discounted gift cards. Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co.